Before we recorded this week's podcast, the Russian invasion of Ukraine had begun. We at Bebop Tabletop are disgusted at the senseless attack and stand with the people of Ukraine. There are links to Ukrainian charities in the episode description, and we encourage you to donate if you're able. Please take care of yourselves and your loved ones. Three, two, one. This is Bebop Tabletop, the podcast that's turning each episode of Cowboy Bebop into a tabletop RPG. I'm Lee Joe John. I'm Andrew Wu. And together, we're remixing the characters, music, and themes into a game we can play. Let's jam. Howdy, cow woof woofs. Welcome to Bebop Tabletop Session 17, Mushroom Samba. I forgot what I was going to say right away. But, hello, <laughs> welcome. It's going to be a great time. I have not taken any mushrooms today. With me, as usual, is Lee Joe John. Lee Joe, how many mushrooms did you take today? Well, there was one on a plate, so I, I mean, you have to eat it, right? So I ate that I mean, one. you don't. You really don't. The crew of the Bebop was hungry and starving. They didn't just, like, like just eat random food lying around. Do you just eat random food lying around? Uh, we're in the middle of a pandemic, man. You got to eat what's available. That's a fair point. <laughs> <laughs> that was weird. Uh, with us today, our guest today has written for The Quilt to Live and for Tor.com, covering topics like adapting books to the screen and embracing found family in your, in your fiction. I like to call him a wordsmith and a gentleman, and I like to call him a friend, but please welcome Cole Rush to the show. Cole, how's it going? Woo, thank you so much for having me, and Lee Joe as well. This is fantastic. I'm thrilled to be here. And I am pumped to talk about some Bebop. Awesome, yeah. Uh, I'm just excited to have you here as well because... Our, so, like, I, I like to think of things in levels, right? And Correct. to me, like, I think I can, I can write, like, at an okay level, right? I've been writing these summaries week to week. I can write things so that I can get a point across to people usually. Uh, I look to you usually. Whenever I see anything you've published, anything you've written, and I always think, like, oh... I should be doing that instead, because that's like the next level up to me every time. <laughs> like, oh, you've thought about this in a way. And I, my, my problem is usually distillation, right? Like, I have a point I want to put across. How can I just like whole cloth it, dump it into your brain? It's like, no, you need words and you need to write the right words. And too many words scares people off. And you don't do that <laughs> the way I do that. <laughs> well, first of all, shucks. And thank you. Um, I do pedal in the written word from time to time. And it's, you know, to your point, it's funny. In a world of everybody having Microsoft Word, um, <laughs> no respect, as they say. Uh, it, it's easy to find people who believe they can write who cannot write. And it is hard to find people who say they can write who also can write. Uh, I like to believe I am the latter, but you never know. <laughs> There's only one way to find out, and that's to keep writing. Exactly. Yeah, that's what I've been hearing. <laughs> Cole, um... What is your experience with either Cowboy Bebop or, uh, you know, tabletop RPGs? How about both? Um, sure. Cowboy Bebop, I consider my gateway drug into anime. Um, I think I was always, Wu could probably attest to this, I was always predisposed to liking anime. <laughs> I, I am just a nerd through and through. Um, and as you can probably tell if you've read any of my writing, um, I am into stories. And anime is one of the greatest ways to tell them. So um, for the longest time, Avatar The Last Airbender has been my favorite show. And I'm not going to consider that a core anime. Please don't at me. Um, <laughs> but I believe it is anime influenced heavily. And I think most would agree. Um, and after years and years of kind of people just pushing different series on me, I finally took the leap with Cowboy Bebop. Instantly fell in love with the show. Um, I love music. I love jazz in particular. Uh, I love sleek animation. I love, you know, well-honed storytelling. And this is just kind of all of that rolled up into one cohesive package. Uh, and I really appreciate that about it. I am now a little further along in my anime journey, uh, having watched Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood, One Punch Man. Uh, I am on episode 10 of One Piece, so almost done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, every anime I watch, I, I do enjoy a lot of them. I'd say Full Metal Alchemist Brotherhood and Cowboy Bebop are... Two of my favorite shows of all time, just having finished them. Um, as far as D&D goes, I have uh, a wealth of experience in the past few years. I have DM'd uh, like four and a half failed campaigns, and I cut those off uh, of my own accord because I felt like DMing was too much of a stressor on my life, and 
I didn't have the right expectations of the game and neither did my players. So it was one of those things where it was just, things weren't meshing right. And I just mm -hmm. sensed the disconnect after four tries was finally able to define it and cut myself off. Um, not to say I won't do it again, but uh, right now I'm kind of on a DM break. But I do play in a campaign that has been going for roughly two and a half years, and we are rapidly nearing the conclusion. I play a bard named Jimothy Sparkle Sprinkle, who is as seductive as any bard should be. He plays a xylophone, um, lots of breezy island tunes, and uh, he is basically part of like the Kappa Guild of the world in which we play. Uh, and his partner is a Minotaur Paladin. So it's a super fun combination. And the party, and my DM has just been absolutely fantastic. Um, he actually writes for the quilttolive.com with me. He owns the site. And most of the party has worked for, or does work for the Quilt to Live currently. So um, I play a lot of tabletop RPGs more recently as a player, but I enjoy them a lot when in the right setting. What's it like to finish a campaign or near finish a campaign? Because Lijo is my normal uh, dungeon master here, and I don't know what that looks like. <laughs> um, it is so fulfilling, and I really have to give props to my DM. His name is Andrew. Fantastic guy. Um, fantastic name. And he has built this story. He, he reads a ton of fantasy books, probably like 110 a year, and... He has kind of built this story that pulls all the best points of the genre. Um, and the arcs that he has constructed for our characters are just insane. And I'm, I'm going to give you an example because this is just out of sure. this world. Jimothy's character was married to a man named Matthew Dormbley Berenstein. And uh, Matthew was raided by one of the more vicious clans in this world and killed. And all that was left was a loot string, and that's what Jimothy carries as a, an emblem to his dead partner. Jimothy then later discovered that Matthew's soul was being held captive by an ancient god of Ravnica. Uh, and that if he, you know, filled in XYZ, he could free his partner's soul. So when he actually got to accomplish this goal, he found out that his dead partner uh, was in fact the god of foolery all along. Oh, and no. <laughs> that um, they never had an actual relationship. And he confirmed this by asking all of his barred friends, do you remember my husband? And all of them said, no, you had a wife. Oh, so no. <laughs> everything that he knew was an illusion that was shattered. And um, somehow when my DM was telling me all of this is happening, I was smiling ear to ear. Like, you know, it, you know this is obviously point A to Z very fast, but there were all the letters in between. Mm. And um, Jimothy is kind of reinvigorated with this mission and uh, mm. trying to solve at least one problem that is within his grasp, knowing that the rest of his life has been a lie. Uh, so it's weird how these little things kind of build into some massive, impressive narrative feat. Uh, right, that I didn't, yeah. I never expected it from day one. You know, I thought, let's just have some fun. Let's joke around. And as every first player does, and Lijo, I'm sure you've experienced this as a DM, uh, Jimothy was created as a hyperbolic version of Cole, uh, with a joke <laughs> name and joke traits and joke abilities. And now I love him. And when he dies <laughs> or retires, I'll probably make a, like a shadow box collage to him because of how impactful he's been. And I always... Like, having almost finished this campaign, I endlessly appreciate the effort that has gone into building it and the collective fun of playing in it with four other people. No matter how much anybody wants to make a a joke character and name it something silly like, I don't know, like Dildo Swaggins or something like that, <laughs> it, it almost always ends up being... Some it almost becomes heart wrenching when they are in like four or five sessions in, and suddenly they start to really care about their character, and then you have to place them in a, a spot of trouble. Now, <laughs> it is it is nice when they Remember do get me, out of that. <laughs> Remember my struggles. <laughs> Absolutely. Or maybe you know maybe he maybe he sacrifices himself for the party, and suddenly everybody has to remember you know commemorate uh, dildo swagons or whatever. Um, <laughs> the, the beauty of D and D or the beauty of tabletop is just that if you, if you truly commit to the role play a little bit, uh, you'll have life changing memories of something that doesn't actually exist. And I right. think that's, that's just wonderful. You know, 
I completely agree. There's uh, there's something I've noticed, just kind of like a magical transformation that happens. Like when I started playing D&D, my mental health was not in a great place. Um, and now it's in a much better place because of actions I've taken myself. But when I look back at who Jimothy was to start, he was kind of like, here are all the qualities in myself that I feel like other people will be annoyed by, but that they have to accept <laughs> if it is a fictional character, right? And now I embrace these things and I think these are wonderful things that I can offer to the world and Jimothy taught me that and it may sound mushy but it just it's really heartwarming to know that something you create can change you as much as you have to like actually form it as an idea Um, and that's one thing I've learned to appreciate about tabletop and part of the reason I quit DMing was because I felt like I couldn't yet foster that environment for people and if I'm going to run a game I want to give them that opportunity. Oh yeah, no, we'll 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 definitely have to talk about you quitting DMing because it's a, <laughs> it's a fascinating topic. Um, by the time this ep- this episode goes out, uh, your article on tour will be out for probably a week, I think. Yep. So, uh, we will link to that in the description and definitely check it out. I mean, I mentioned Cowboy Bebop in at least one of my articles, so read that one too. Oh yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll 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 link two for you, Cole. <laughs> we'll link two, we'll link two. Hell yeah! <laughs> Mission accomplished. Signing off. all right let's kick into a summary you guys ready for a summary of mushroom samba Mm, tasty i am i watched it three times this week oh dang oh dang (laughs) 64 minutes i'll never get back it's true time doesn't work (laughs) that way our hungry heroes are hit and run and crash land on the moon io Starving, broke, and out of fuel, Ed goes off to find food. After wandering miles of nothing, Ed stares at unaffordable watermelons before bumping into coffee, another bounty hunter. Ed and Ayn sneak into her trunk. The police stop coffee for questioning, and our troublesome twosome find the sandwich-eating, mushroom-slinging Domino being confronted by Shaft, whose brother died laughing. Domino drops some shrooms, and Ayn gets hopped up on mycelium. Back at the ship... Ed leaves a fungus for her found family and observes. Faye swims in the bathroom stall. Jet philosophizes with Bonsai, and Spike takes the stairway to heaven. Big Shot comes on, and Ed goes on the hunt with her loyal cow woof woof. They stink gas Domino and chase him onto a train alongside Shaft and Coffee. Ed catches Domino thanks to a cow on the rails, but she chooses to take the mushrooms instead. Later, a police officer verifies they have a pile of shiitake, and Ed eats her hard-earned reward. Uh, I want to start with, I love this episode. This episode was the funniest episode by far. I'm not sure exactly why. It, it's timing and beats, right? It, it, this, it's this strange, like, uh, it's a funny situation, one, right? Let's get everybody high. And that's kind of what I remembered from before watching it recently. It was like, oh, they all got high and it was funny, right? But I like that in rewatching this, finding that it wasn't really about that. Like, this is an episode about this strange alternate universe where cowgirl Ed is running around with her dog and hunting bounties, and everything just lines up. Like, every moment is just, uh, we talked already about, you know, you leave a mushroom on a plate and you just eat it. Who does that? Why do you do that? I don't know, but it's hilarious. <laughs> like, like, even, like, Spike looking real cool when he steals it, right? Like he doesn't he doesn't do it like a normal person. He sneaks it away and stuffs it in his mouth. Uh, and, you know, and then, you know, to me the, the the highlight of the episode, the highlight of the show is you've got Ein thanking the cow. Right? Like we, that's insane. <laughs> like we just hit a moment in this show where that doesn't feel that out of place, where suddenly it's like, what show am I watching again? What is going on? Before we come back around, like, oh, right, these, these ding-dongs over here are getting high. I mean, not every episode can be a film noir or a kung fu movie. Sometimes it's just a girl and her dog and a bunch of space mushrooms, you know? It's, it is, that is bebop, right? It is right, the... Last week, yeah, last week we were talking about like a gritty, hard-boiled detective novel. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on right now? <laughs> they basically they take the formula of like, there's a bounty, we need it for this reason. It is now accomplished, but not what we expected. You know, it's the exact game formula that you're creating, and they basically say, let's put Ed in charge of it, mm-hmm. though. <laughs> you know, 
And the chaos that unfolds is just oozing joy. Because it's like, of course Ed's going to experiment and be like, let's see what these mushrooms do by giving them to the people <laughs> who are caring for me and giving me transportation from A to Z. It is a remarkably funny, just like situational story writing episode. Um, and also just any time you get to see Ed interact with something other than a computer mm-hmm. is, a, is a treat. I love, uh, she puts out the stink guns because she thinks that's the most effective way to take this guy down. Yep. Right? Like, what? We have stink guns? <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I love that point that you made, too, that it is exactly the same structure, right? It follows our exact five phases. It is the same show, but but we're, we're just in wacky-verse, right? Uh, I like to imagine that this is the episode that will happen most frequently with with you know we we talked about our silly tabletop role playing game players right when everybody makes their own little doofus character running around this is the show that should result right like this is what's going to happen it's this strange alternate universe uh, we still have you know but the the contrast of coffee and shaft between uh you know, comparing them to spike and fay right it's like oh yeah they have this weird rivalry they're still kind of effective but also incredibly ineffective they have very distinct style. Like Shaft comes in carrying a coffin, right? Like, I mean, that's ridiculous. Uh, but, <laughs> but Spike also is so obsessed with his past, right? Like, it's like, yeah, it's like the same idea. He's just carrying this weight. That's the weight he's carrying right now. I, I love that. Like, every, everybody's going to take their own weird character and have this straight... Like, I'm sure Coffee's got some weird, tragic past we haven't... We didn't have time to get into, right? And they're just hunting some dude that nobody really cares about, right? By the end of the episode, we're like, yeah, whatever, he's fine. Domino's gone. It's all right. Yeah, you could literally pluck this episode from the lineup of 26 episodes, and nothing about the series would change, but it would just lose, like, a a bunch of fun. Yeah. This is just, like, here's 80% of the fun of the series just packed into one, and then the other episode, obviously, being Andy, Mm -hmm. uh, the cowboy. But there is... uh, there is sometimes space for this series to breathe in a way that many animes will not give themselves. Yeah. Um, and this episode is the perfect example. What'd you got, Lee Joe? I was going to say that maybe... <laughs> He's hiccuping. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, it's funny that uh, that this IO had a Western development plot, plot. Like, the question is, was it supposed to be... A Western as in, like, Wild West? Or was there, like, the Western region of Io? Just these weird little questions. Again, nothing super important, but it was just something that kind of was tickling the back of my brain. Um, I did look that up. It is a reference to a movie, I believe. Like, mm. that that exact phrase is from something. Uh, But that did raise the question in my mind of what is, what you know, what makes the Western Hemisphere the Western one rather than the Eastern one? What is west on a, on a, on a ball? Well, yeah, it's a moon of Jupiter, right? Yeah, I was a moon of Jupiter. Yeah. Though I think so, so far we like the Jupiter side and the and the non-Jupiter I side. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be like? I don't know if it's locked if the, if it's locked on its axis or what. I would imagine so. It might be. Yeah. This is the stuff that nobody cares about right. that I'm that I'm conjecturing. That we're, we're right? now like every every piece of. Every time we talk about it, it's going in the book, Cole. So just so you know, everything we bring up is canon now. That's the key. <laughs> There's a, I think my favorite moment of this episode, it, I don't know if I mentioned this before, you know, or even pre-recording, whatever, but the soundtrack of Cowboy Bebop to me is just, I mean, it's God tier. Mm-hmm. It's, um, you know, it's the best. I have it on vinyl. Ooh. I have I play it while I work constantly. Like, I play it when I edit. I, like my, um, when, yeah. when I edit these episodes, it's on in the background and that's exactly what keeps me sane the whole time. It's insanely good and it feels trite to say it that way, but that's just what it is. And this uh, this song, I don't know what the track title is, but I, I know it basically by heart where, you know, she's just naming... Africa. Um, it's during the Mexico, chase when she's just naming... Sicily. Yeah, Africa, Tijuana. Mexico. Lithuania. <laughs> and it's just like, there's something about... There's something about that track specifically that brings out the whole, like, everybody else is tripping balls on these mushrooms, <laughs> and Ed is completely sober just chasing after a train on a scooter, and you get the feeling that this chases Ed's whole world right mm-hmm. now, and the song just perfectly emblemizes that whole and kind of just, like, codifies it into one unit, 
and you just watch and you can't take any of the elements in individually as you're watching. It's just one thing. And then when you sit back afterwards, you're like, what was that lady saying? And you watch it back again and she's just naming locations. You're like, this has nothing to do with anything, but it just fucking works. so good. It's so good. Uh, yeah, that the track's called Mushroom Hunting, so it, it is perfect. It is built for this. It is... There you go. Uh, it is... Yeah, like, yeah, I've never thought about that in that context of... It's like, yeah, for, for Ed... So, one, the responsible parenting of the, of the Bebop crew members, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's not their fault that they got high, right? That, that's Ed's fault, so not on them. But at some point, you know, Ed's a 13-year-old girl on a weird Western planet... And they just say, hey, go play outside, kid. Right? Like, in the very beginning, Ed's like, I can help. And she breaks something. And they're like, yeah, just get out of here. Go go find some food or something. And, like, have, give no thought to, I don't know, what's out there, what's dangerous, what's... It's also, like, the degree to which she succeeds <laughs> when left to her own devices is fucking impressive. <laughs> like, you know, the one decision hinges the whole episode, which is, I will take these mushrooms, which I believe to be worth millions of wulongs mm-hmm. collectively... And sure, they're worth nothing, but at least it turns out they can eat. Mm-hmm. And it's like, what can the rest of the crew say that they did to help? Nothing. I would call this a successful bounty. It just stumbles ass backwards without hacking once yeah. into the solution to their problem. It kind of gives that whole like manic pixie dream girl vibe that, you know, Ed can do no wrong. Uh, and yeah, her, you know, insane lifestyle will kind of work out in the end. She does make some decisions that uh, are insane, but hey, why not, you know? It's, uh, the idea of jumping into that lady's trunk after the, <laughs> after the, the watermelon debacle. I assumed she was going to steal some watermelon, because again, I had not, I have not seen this episode in 10 years or whatever, and... And then I forget, like, oh, right. Whenever there's a decision to be made, she will pick the weirdest option. And, yeah, the the stink gun, the the whole train scene, the, like, it's just on and on uh, ridiculousness. And it's good. It's fun. Uh, and, I mean, if, uh, if we're going to segue that into a tabletop, it's uh, trying to DM a bunch of crazy people, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> obviously, you know, Jimothy, I'm sure, has made some... Uh, interesting decisions. Yep. He drank a <laughs> cup of uh, liquid annihilation <laughs> and only managed to survive that by uh, his party going back in time briefly and salvaging his body from minutes before. <laughs> um, but it was touch and go there for a minute. As someone that's lost, what is this now? Uh, two characters? Two. Uh, <laughs> one, one, two. So one was to a deck of many things. Right, so I don't think that's my fault. That's not my fault. Right. Uh, another was to the uh, very logical machinations of another player. Like it's, it's the logical choice. Two of two of your party members must go away. It's like, yeah, that one. That's the one. That was the right choice. <laughs> like I hundred percent agree. <laughs> uh, we have yet to recover Jacob Jordles, and someday Jacob's out there. I just know Jordles. it. Jordles. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Jordles. <laughs> But yeah, Lijo, to your, to your point on uh, DMing in the tabletop space, accounting for player expectations and or execution against those expectations can be a chore. And my question is, in a game like this, how do you make it not a chore? And I guess more specifically, how do you plan ahead enough to where you feel prepared for chasing a train on a bird or lime scooter <laughs> that you can rent with a QR code. Like, you know what? What can you possibly do as a game master to prepare for that? I feel like it's nothing. And I think that's the truth of it, is when it, when it is your turn to DM, you only can have so much prepared. I learned the hard way that if you prepare page after page after page of notes for your session, you're either one going to be very surprised when your players do not choose any of the decisions you thought they were going to choose or two uh you're gonna have to railroad them very very hard and that's no fun either way dming is such a weird needle to thread because 
you need them to do some semblance of story. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of people screwing around for a couple hours, you know, per session. But you want them to express themselves. You want them to give that character freedom, that character weight. So while I am not a master of improv, I try to roll with as many punches as possible. Um, and, and you do a good job, I think, because we, we do throw wrenches at you a lot of the time. Yeah, and I... I th- I've gotten better over time, and I think when I when I tell anybody about being a game master, dungeon master, it is you're go- it's going to suck <laughs> the first the first <laughs> three, four, five sessions, and unless you are some master improv, you know, star, it, you're only going to get better with time, and it's only going to just take practice, and eventually you'll be okay and that'll be that'll work for most people you don't need to be matt mercer you don't need to be brendan lee mulligan matt coville abriang there's a thousand people you can list but you don't have to be them i think another thing that is important if you are playing with somebody that is a new dm please tell them they're doing a good job please because that is uh you know sometimes and while you're at it, leave a review for uh, our, our podcast, Bebop Tabletop, <laughs> on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Because feedback, feedback feels so good. Uh, when you're, you know, you can assume that you're doing a good job or you're doing a terrible job, but it, it really does make a huge difference when somebody tells you, like, hey, I like this thing that you did. I, I, I appreciated the world that you built. I appreciate that you... Uh, handled our nonsense for a couple of hours so that we could all try to have a good time, even if it doesn't work out, especially if it doesn't work out. I think that that's the key. Like, if everybody kind of feels a little bit blah, it's like, no, like, tell me what was good so that I don't feel too bad about doing it again. <laughs> yeah, if you, even if you can't, like, coalesce your feelings into a, spe- this is specifically what I liked, uh, Lee Joe, I hope you would agree with this, like, a simple thank you for spending time planning this was like all I ever needed. You didn't need to tell me it was good. You could it could have been your least favorite session of the entire campaign. But for me when I was DMing, I would spend 15 to 20 hours planning a 3-hour session, if that. You know, and you write 9 pages of content and 1 hour in your characters are 4 and a half pages through and you're like, "Fuck, what do I do?" you know, and it's just a lot of thinking on your feet and like it's, it's getting into a headspace. So even if the work you do isn't exactly what the players end up doing, like you are putting in the effort, focusing only on this thing. Uh, and every time I signed up a session and my players just said, hey, thanks for that. It was like, okay, you know, that's enough for me to at least consider wanting to do this more. <laughs> Most people are so starved for any sort of tabletop RPG or just in, in games in general. The fact that you take the lion's share of pre- preparation for with you know being a GM, they'll they'll pretty much accommodate anything because <laughs> you know even though I disagree, any tabletop is better than no tabletop uh, for most people. So even if you're bad, a lot of people will still return to the table for the next yep. session. But to your to your to your what you were saying, you know, obviously you know our listeners can't see us, but I was nodding harder than I could possibly nod when I was hearing about <laughs> your uh, your struggles. Yeah, my first few campaigns. And I we also I also started a DM as a, a homebrew uh, campaign, which I think is it was probably not the best idea. I had pages and pages of stuff, and then suddenly everything got ruined by a spell I didn't realize, uh, or a spell I didn't realize existed. And then yeah, then you have to wing everything else, and it works out. It works fine because the even even the best <laughs> even the best D and D campaigns probably don't compare to books. You know, but uh, (laughs) (laughs) I don't think anybody is actually uh, I don't think anybody is actually expecting it to be the next Odyssey, the next, you know, (laughs) Iliad or whatever. You're just you're there to have fun with your friends. And sometimes it requires you giving a giant chief uh, an aphrodisiac. You know, that that just happened recently in our Storm King's Thunder uh, (laughs) session. It was my fault. Yeah, it was it was it was was actually Wu's fault. Definitely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I've I've tried the whole give a hippo lots of drugs to kill it, you know, from like the name of the wind style mm. uh, narrative. Uh, turns out you need a lot more drugs than you think to kill a hippo. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I'm with you on that one. Um, but on the DM note, you know, another thing that I found really helpful was 
the last iteration of me DMing, which was by far my favorite, but also very short-lived, was with two players who had played in my previous two campaigns for a total of maybe 20 sessions, and then two completely new players. And after the first few sessions, I noticed that, like, they weren't saying, we want to do this next, we want to pursue this quest, we want to pursue this storyline. Those players were literally just like, give us whatever you have planned, and we will gobble it up. Like... You know, and I don't think that every campaign works like that, but it's about being honest with your players about what you want to do and being and expecting honesty back. Because once they told me, you come with whatever you want to plan planned and we'll play through it. It was more of, okay, I can tell the story I want to tell within these parameters. And they were basically opening themselves up to a bit of railroading was mm -hmm. essentially what yep. was happening. They were like, yeah, you know, if, if we're going off the rails, but it's not really what you have planned and you don't feel comfortable making it up on the spot, like that's not really what we're here for. We're just mm -hmm. here to have a good time. So I think so much of like the intricacy of tabletop planning goes into being incredibly honest and vulnerable and open about what you want. And I think that's hard because a lot of people who are predisposed to liking tabletop games are also afraid to share those parts of themselves, <laughs> you know, because it's less so now because we have access to the internet and all these things. But like in high school, I thought it was funny to make fun of kids who played D&D. <laughs> and now here I am, I'm Jimothy Sparkle Sprinkle, look at me. Like, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's about accepting that this is an okay thing to shape for yourself and <laughs> to make it a hobby that works for you. And I think people have trouble actually working within that framework because you can't make a Nintendo game what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. Like Mario Odyssey is Mario Odyssey, whether you like it or not. And you can play it different ways, sure. But D&D can be an entirely new thing from the ground up. Um, and, you know, what I like about the game that you guys are building is here is a framework for each session. And that's like half of the heavy lifting already done. It's these are the story beats you can add or subtract mm -hmm within your own comfort zone, but it gives everybody a solid idea of what to expect. Right. And expectation can be a make or break thing when it comes to any tabletop RPG. Yeah, I, I think that is our, our grand shortcut here, right? It's like, since this is an adaptation of this TV show, it's like, oh, you know, people coming into this are going to expect that show. And, you know, who are, you know, we're not, we're not, hugely we're not subversive for the sake of being subversive right like we we want to give that to people like that is what you are here to do uh, that doesn't mean like yeah you know, no, nobody will have fun playing like oh let's just play 26 episodes of exactly this tv show that's not fun like no <laughs> nobody should do that uh if you are planning to run this game that way please let me know because i would love to hear about it if it works <laughs> right because that's wild uh but i expect yeah, like uh, building a framework of how... Uh, so when I play video games, I like a lot of systems-based games. So what that means to me is that uh, the game gives you a bunch of tools, and you can discover how these tools work, what the rules are around them, but then it just gives you the freedom to play. And that's kind of what I like about this game, where the framework, the tools are, hey, here's an episode of Bebop. They do these things. This is what happens. There's a bounty. They go hunt this thing. Uh, these are the beats of a narrative, right? But that doesn't mean that's you. You're not locked into that, right? You're not permanently attached to that. It doesn't always have to be that way. And even throughout the show, they they show like this week, right? Is exactly the same phases of a cowboy bebop episode, a, a cowboy bebop hunt. But it's so different. It's so wacky, just because hey, we twisted a couple of things, and now it looks like this. Uh, and even some of the, uh, we talk about it in a week to week, right? Where it's like, well, how does this episode fit into our five phases? What what is different this week? Some episodes don't have a bounty, right? Some episodes don't have a, uh, or some episodes are entirely just the chase, right? Like they're just, hey, let's go action, let's go hard, right? Those are possible, and they work together, right? Like I think, uh, I'm a little worried sometimes that our game by being fairly rigid on structure, uh, can feel one note after a while, right? Like, it is possible that, yeah, you know, you get a party together, you get a table together, and you play it once or twice, and you're like, okay, like, oh, they're all like this, but they're all like this, right? Because sometimes when we're playing Dungeons & Dragons, uh, sometimes I want to fight monsters, and some, which is not often, 
Uh, and sometimes I, I, I <laughs> I'm not a combat guy. I, I don't know many people that are. <laughs> if they're out there, uh, they're not very vocal to me about it. I suppose. I, yeah. I know a few. Oh Trust my! Me, I know a few. There, uh, there are plenty of power gamers. There are plenty of the like the world. There, are, it takes all kinds, right? And in our yeah. tabletop community, there will be definitely those who want to combat. They want to punch that big thing in the face over and over again. <laughs> Uh, but yeah. uh, but a lot of us, especially I feel like in this modern day, are leaning towards a lot more role play, which yes. this which D and D five e has some issues with, but not it's it still pretty <laughs> works pretty well. Right. Well, what's beautiful about Bebop in particular is that the role play and the combat are not two distinct entities; right. they are completely intertwined, and that's what I think five e is missing is. Mm. You know, you exit roleplay and you enter combat. That is literally yes. a core rule of the game. <laughs> and it is disappointing and deflating as fuck yeah. when it happens. Yep. Because you're like, I'm a bard. I'm in here trying to siphon secrets from this guy's head. And then all of a sudden he attacks and it's like, now I'm in combat mode. Right. Um, and there are opportunities for roleplay in any D&D combat situation. It's learning what your character would do. Mm-hmm. But... I like a less rigid combat structure because it's more, here's an opportunity for a quip or an environmental spell that can impact the combat later on. It's hard in 5e especially because you have to be doing something that is beneficial with near immediate effect. Otherwise, you are literally worthless. Right. Um, this spell takes and, a minute to cast, and by that time, right. combat is over. Right. Like it's, it's, you know, it's I'm going to sit down and do a ritual for ten minutes <laughs> uh, to see how this combat's going to go with augury. Right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and then the combat's over. Your party's dead, and you're like, ah, it's woe. It's woe. <laughs> yeah. What, what I was going to say earlier too was that how in in our system, like that fear that. Uh, you know, you could play one or two, and they they feel the same. I I think it it might be something we might have to do is so it, I I like whenever I pick up a new book or a new tabletop system, I always look to see what the examples are. Right, what what is a sample encounter? What how does this play? Right, and it should give you a good impression of what this game is about. And I think it might be critical for us to have like a second session that is wildly different than the first. Right, just because mm-hmm. like. I, I, maybe maybe I'm too worried about it, but like this, uh, yeah, we don't have shopping sessions, right? Sometimes in D and D, you want right. to go shopping, and we don't. Like everything right now, just kind of fits into this. Every every episode is a hunt still, right? You know, maybe there's room though. You know, you have a bounty, whatever mm-hmm. it be, and then um, based on your character, like uh, you know, the character I made up before this uh, recording, you know, he might have his own goals within the bounty. Or the bounty may bring them to a an area that has an object he needs, but it's not it's off the beaten path, you know? It's yeah. like it's down the road. And I think building those little character moments in and allowing players to subvert the narrative that you know they're gonna go for, uh, while also, you know, there's a bit of competition in there mm-hmm. because yeah. it's like, okay, I need to sneak off and do this thing while also accomplishing the goal the party has set for yes. me. Yeah. Um that's a way to liven things up. Or, you know, you have little sub-bounties within it, or there are two competing ones. You know, the structure may seem rigid, but I think that there's so much room for flexibility within it. Like, it's literally just steps one, two, three, four, five, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But the bullets underneath those, there's infinite possibility. And I think that with the creation system, especially for characters that you all have created here, it's it leaves so much open for interpretation from the player. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the variety comes from is, yeah, it feels rigid because you are codifying a game system, but it's going to be different when I play versus right. when Lee Joe plays versus when somebody else plays. Um, actually, no, Lee Joe and I might be the exact same. Um, <laughs> Saxino R1 and Saxino R2. Um, <laughs> but I think there's a, uh, I think there's way more wiggle room. It's like it's one of those things where if you're so close to it, uh, it's easy to feel like this is too restrictive. But reading the game docs, I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, I can think of all sorts of shit that I would stir up in this game. <laughs> oh, that's good to um, hear. <laughs> you know, though, and it would be both beneficial to the party and some of it would be like, I'm stealing something from a person who does not want to be stolen from <laughs> in addition to hunting a bounty that five other bounty hunters are hunting. Right. It's, yeah. you know, there's a lot of different mechanics and gameplay, you know, widgets you can throw at this. Um, 
kind of like little switches you can flip. It's like a motherboard, and right. it's like, okay, and for this bounty, we're going to flip the, you know, the ship combat switch. We're going to flip the uh, mm. search and rescue a hostage switch. Uh, you know, there's like so many different things that you can just add in and pepper in there for flavor. And when you're a DM, it, I agree, it's hard to see that kind of stuff, mm. especially when you're creating it. But then when you see what a player does with it, as Lee just says, you can never fucking expect the stuff that they will do. <laughs> and as long as you lean into it, I think there's infinite possibility. Just to piggyback off that, I, I actually think that you know, Woo, I think you're being a little reductive with what our game is, and that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think that when you think about other role-playing games, they have they have a cycle in itself. D&D is really just, here. The, the heroes come into town, oh, something's screwy, they're going to go deal with whatever's screwy and come back for gold and or loot. And then the cycle <laughs> repeats because now there's a bigger guy screwing things up and a bigger guy, you know? And that if that if we were to if we were to map out the steps of a D&D campaign, yeah, it's not particularly exciting. The excitement is what you bring to the table, whether it's the story, whether it's the characters, whether it's your personal stakes that are in there. Mm-hmm. And I think that yes, a little bit of rigidity can be stifling for some people, but I don't think it's meant to be a be-all, end-all rule. If you want to make mm-hmm. it more of a guideline, or heck, if you just kind of want to put pieces of it into your own session, do it. Yeah, there's a million ways you can just... Like, I, I see this game being so malleable mm-hmm. because, you know, you could run a game that is literally... We meet once a week, up to four people can play in any given session... And, you know, I will have a bounty ready. They are not related. They are just bounties that you go on. You either pass or you fail. And that's the whole session, right? Mm -hmm. And then next week we can rinse and repeat with two people and two new people, whatever. Or you can develop this entire sci-fi world with all sorts of bounties and side quests and the syndicate involved. And if players want that, you know, another thing I was thinking about kind of related to this earlier today was... You guys have so much opportunity for NPCs here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. As a DM, I struggled so hard with thinking of reasonable things for NPCs. And like my players were all video gamers, so they mm. were all very much like, if I don't get the information I want after two or three tries, I expect you as the DM to just give it to me. Uh-huh. <laughs> but a lot of the times I was like, this NPC doesn't really know that much. They're just kind of the bartender, right? Yep. And like they have one name, and if you don't ask the right questions, you're not gonna get that name. But the NPCs in your game can be so dynamic because every single one of them can know something or other about a bounty. Like they could have met a bounty hunter that was hunting the same person, just like Coffee was. Um, They could be the bounty, you know, they could could be somebody in disguise. They could, I don't know, they could have been threatened by the person. It's, there's so many different like little clues you can drop within NPCs. And because it's a bounty hunting structure, you can put those morsels with the right people and make it so much easier on a DM to actually dole out information. Because you can just say, here are the seven NPCs that they can encounter in this setting, and here are the two pieces of information each of them knows. Right. And that's so much easier to plan for, and whether or not the players find it, like it's two bullet points that you have to write. Right. It's five minutes. Um, and I think that that's a big gap in a lot of games. We, we like to cover it, too, with like other skills. right? The idea, I think we've talked about it before, where... Like, hey, if you're a hacker character, like maybe you don't go to the bar and talk to the bartender, but instead right. you hack the ISSP server. And it's like, it's the same thing. Like your your DM prep or your GM prep is still like, oh, this is the piece of information they need to know. They need to know where to go or they need to know, oh, they're, you know, they're hopping a ship to Jupiter, right? Like they, they need to know some some piece of information. And that can be found in any of the ways that make sense in the world, right? Like they that can be found... You know, you, you find it on a website, right. you find it scrawled in a bathroom stall, right? Like it has to be that information exists however the players choose to find it. Uh, yep. Yeah, we, we've talked. And you could just have it locked and loaded and right. then they get a good enough roll and it's there no yep. matter how they try. Yeah. Right. You know, they failed. Oh, they just see, you know, a dick drawn on the bathroom wall. Right. It's dildo <laughs> baggins all over again. <laughs> yeah. And that makes it easier because I, you know part of the struggle I had, like I said, as a DM was I was making things too easy because mm-hmm. I wanted my players to succeed. Yep. And your role as a DM in D&D is to try to kill them. 
uh, and to try <laughs> to make design. them fail. And I, I don't mean that viciously as a person. I mean, like, you are trying to create experiences that will challenge them enough to where they could possibly die. Um, <laughs> you know, and that is difficult to do. Um, but having tidbits of information that you can dole out in whatever way possible lifts some of that burden and makes it a little easier to give them simple wins mm -hmm. if they're struggling. And that's what's glorious about the whole bounty hunter structure is like they exist within such a compact world. You don't have to do a lot of the narrative legwork of how did your players meet? Mm -hmm. How did they come together? Like that's difficult in D&D, &D, yeah. uh, you know, and a lot of people use the bounty hunting structure to make that easier on themselves. Mm, yeah. um, so having that as a built in makes things a lot easier on both sides, I think, because there's there's no two sessions of well, how do how did we meet? We're suspicious of each other. We're tying mm -hmm. each other down to get information. You know, it's like the mistrust that characters are predisposed to feeling for each other can dissipate. Right. If you say you are all fucking bounty hunters, you all want the same thing. I, I think one of the keys too is like even in this within this framework, there is mystery, right? I, I think this is what it is. Like there is mystery, but no mistrust. Because I don't mm -hmm. know your past. I don't know, you know, Jet doesn't know that Spike was a syndicate assassin, right? Uh, nobody knows what Faye's past was. Nobody has a clue what, Ed's, what Ed was doing, you know, ages 7 through 13, right? Like, and that's fine. They still trust each other enough to do the job. They still trust each other enough to, you know, travel the solar system together. And I think that's what this game is, right? Like, it's like, hey, we all right. hang out on this ship together. We all work. We're all coworkers, right? We're all good coworker friends. Whereas, like, hey, I don't know everything about you, but slowly we're learning, you know, slowly I'm learning, oh, yeah, Cole's into really nerdy stuff. Oh, maybe I should invite him on the podcast one day. Right? Like, it's, it's, it's a thing where it, it's these slow little drips where of, of, like, revelation to each other where... Right. And it grows together. Uh, and I think that speaks to that found family theme as well. And there's also enough mistrust <laughs> to make things interesting. Yes. Because... My character may feel like his solution is the best, mm -hmm. and he's going to try it, whether or not you try your thing. Mm -hmm. And if it goes wrong, that's when the trust has to kick in. That's just by necessity. It's right. by design, yeah. right? Because it's either trust each other or die. Yeah. But, like, <laughs> I'm going to do it my way until I need to trust you. You know, there's um, – and that just makes for easy storytelling. Mm -hmm. It's it, And I like that you said mystery because – Having a puzzle to solve, a distinct goal in mind, unites players like nothing else can. <laughs> no story you make up, no backstory they craft will do it better than just a single puzzle that they need to solve as a team. <laughs> the door is locked, and they won't tell us what's behind us. I just uh, what, what, something that's been happening, and I didn't realize this um, because uh, so when when my previous character Jacob Jordles was disappeared. I had to create a new character, a new level seven character on the spot for the next week's session. And, you know, I wrote some stuff and have some backstory. And but a lot of it was kept pretty vague just because I hadn't written it yet. Right. I have some general idea, but I, I don't know yet. We're, we're still figuring this out. And I found out, what was it like the last week or two weeks ago that uh, one of the other party members has more notes about my character's background than they do about the ongoing campaign and the giant problem. <laughs> and it's just because they don't, they're wondering, like, well, what's going on there? What, what is this mystery? I love the collective mystery of your fellow party. Mm -hmm. yep. You know, as long as it doesn't become like, we are so mistrustful of each other that we don't want to work together. Mm -hmm. um, I love withholding information from fellow party <laughs> members. And I love being suspicious of a party member for doing so. Yeah. Um, you know, that, that just drives these interactions and you know it's obviously mistrustful in game but out of character that's what makes it fun to play with somebody yeah. is you know that they're willing to share xyz with you but there's a whole other alphabet before that <laughs> that they're not telling you and it's glorious meanwhile jimothy was like here's my entire backstory my husband's dead i'm very sad i miss him a lot <laughs> That's the beauty of bards. They just wag their tail. And <laughs> yep. You know exactly what we're, they're thinking. <laughs> we're a simple folk. We just want to play our songs and cry our tears. <laughs> I'm also a fan of a player character that doesn't have a particularly long backstory because I'm I just don't want to read it all. I know you worked <laughs> hard, and yes, it is. It's pretty nice, but I have I have like six other players to deal with right now. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh my gosh, I have uh, an interesting tidbit there. So. I am in a competitive crossword league mm -hmm. 
and every season uh, the structure of it changes. Like one season it was Mario Kart themed, mm. so you get an item that adds to somebody in front of you's time, that mm. sort of thing. This past season it was D&D themed, and we had to create a character, and it was literally just pick your class, your race, and your name. Mm -hmm. um, so I was Acrostia Downington, a uh, rogue goblin, <laughs> and I assembled my team of uh, some friends of mine in the league and thought, you know what, I'm going to write a short story about how our team came together. And I don't write a ton of fiction because uh, that was kind of just like a mental hurdle I've been trying mm. to get over. But this like unlocked something in me. I, it was like the beast had been released. I wrote 27 pages <laughs> about how these characters met. <laughs> and I told the group, I was like, yeah, I wrote a short story about, about how the characters <laughs> met. And they were like, oh, are you going to share it? And I shared the doc and nobody was in it longer than like six minutes <laughs> because they all saw it was 27 pages. <laughs> <laughs> and they were just like, yeah, uh, not going to read that. But um, so I, I feel you on that one, Lee Joe. I think um, if, it, if my suggestion to anybody who is a player or becoming a player of a TTRPG is if you want to invest a lot of time in your backstory, make sure you are doing it for you so mm -hmm. that you know your character yep. and that you know their motivations. Um, expect to be able to give your DM bullet points explaining what you have written but don't expect them to read every single word if you're going to give them a novel. Well, I feel a little adversarial this this episode, but uh, <laughs> one of our one of our past co-hosts, Michael, he he came he kind of talked about something along those lines and basically what he he boiled it down to was if it doesn't happen at the table, it didn't happen. And I think what I when I think about that, I think that you can have you can have page and pages of backstory uh, and I, I i know i see you disagree with me but it's it is better to show who you are uh during play than you know sitting around the fireside saying well you know back in when i was 13 i hunted down a dragon on my own or you know something uh, you know something a little bit you know exaggerated no, I actually, I actually agree with that in many ways, which is why I say precisely, like, plan your backstory for you mm. and bring that to the game. Um, you know, don't expect everybody to know exactly who and what your character is about based on the document that you've written. The other point I would make in relation to that is something that I always longed for from my players was we had a Slack channel or, you know, a Discord or whatever, and I always encouraged them, like, you know, if you ever have a few spare minutes throughout the week, mm. like, look at the quest board and let me know what you're interested in and just talk about it in character because a lot of my players were brand new and I wanted them to experience being in character just even for five minutes a day, um, <laughs> you know? And I just wanted them to say like, oh, we're interested in this quest because it will lead us to this item. And uh, it never really panned out the way I wanted it to. And again, <laughs> that comes back to player expectations and I wasn't being forthcoming and saying, I want this Please and they weren't this. being yeah. forthcoming and saying, we don't, <laughs> yeah. right? Um, but it would be, uh, I, I think that is a fun way to do it. If you are looking for between sessions inter interaction is say like, here is a lore channel in our existing yep. chat platform where you can put like in character canon stuff uh, and I as the DM will react to it in due course. Uh, I think that's a good middle ground yep. if your players are looking for that sort of thing. But I totally understand your point and agree with it. Like bring the best of your character to the game. Mm -hmm. that, that is what will make the game fun. Yeah. I, this has just become a tutorial for new DMs I love and new it. players, yeah. and I fucking love it. It's so good, yeah. Uh, especially for me, because, again, I, I've mentioned before that I've really only run a handful of games. Uh, one of the... I keep calling it a secret goal, but I keep talking about it, so it's no longer a secret. <laughs> one of the goals for this game for me is I, I've always wanted to run tabletop games because I am an improviser. I like to no. Uh, when uh, Cole, when you sent me your character earlier today, and when our friend Joe sent his character yesterday, I was just tickled just to read through. And you know, this is this is clearly new game master. Uh, this will be, you know, scraped off of me at some point when I'm just a burned out carcass of a game master. <laughs> uh, but I was just so excited to read everything in it because it was like oh, I can play with that. Oh, I could twist this, and I can't wait. To you know, you I, I can't wait to see how you deal with finding your family, right? I can't wait to oh, see yeah. with you know finding out your you know these little breadcrumbs and just leaving them places for you to discover, right? Like I'm so excited to do something like that. 
Uh, it was kind of my insurance policy yeah. creating that character because I was literally like, if I do this, he can't not ask me to play test. Yeah, no, I, mean, I was like, <laughs> that was never in question. And I was like, yeah, I, you have literally asked me before, yeah. and so I knew it was never in question. But I was like, I am going to confirm my commitment to this by creating a character. And of course, you know, the second I'm looking at these docs, I'm like, okay, like. I can I can work within these parameters. Mm. I can figure something out. <laughs> and what I'm really excited for is to see as this show goes on, like how those structures take shape even mm-hmm. more. Because I think one of the aspects that I love about D and D is character creation. Mm. I have at least two characters now, three if you count this one, which I know isn't core D and D. But I have characters saved up to play if the mm. opportunity arises. I have an orc who is cast from his tribe because he likes to fight with a bow and arrow and his tribe favored melee blunt weapons. <laughs> and I have a um, automaton warforged mm. who uh, was created to test the metal of other weapons by his god. <laughs> so he believes that pain and force uh, are happiness. So he actively <laughs> seeks out combat and being bludgeoned whenever he possibly can. So, you know, the, the character creation aspect, I think, is so fun. And the way that you guys have created it makes it great for new players because it is simple, but it is open enough to where a player can say, okay, I, I have the parameters, but there is plenty of wiggle room here. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that's what's also glorious about Cowboy Bebop in general is, like, it is a sci-fi, space opera-esque show but it tells every type of story yep. within that framework. Yep. And that's what this game is doing is like, here is a platform on which you can be creative. Uh, and it, it comes back to the whole like, you know, limitations spur creativity in yep. my opinion. It's it, when I am working within a framework, that is when I do my best work, which is why I enjoy creating characters in D&D because I can only do it with these stats or with these abilities. Um, and that's why I'm particularly excited about Saxy Noir who plays the trombone as you wouldn't expect. Um, <laughs> There's a, there's a lot to enjoy about having a very small circle to work mm-hmm. within um, and seeing how much you can fill that circle in. Yeah, I like that. I, I'm, I'm pretty proud of it, too, just because uh, something I like to think about is theme. Like, I, I'm always thinking in theme because theme helps you improvise. Right? If you know what mm-hmm. the overall goal of something has to be, you don't have to worry about the specifics. Right. You you can make up the specifics on the spot if you know it's like, oh, we need to get to here because that's important for this character. Cool. It doesn't matter how you get there. You you can roll with whatever things get thrown your way from the players, from uh, bad dice rolls, and just know that, oh, this is still where we're driving. Toward. This is still where we're pointing. And uh, like the character creator, which uh, you know is, is based on the three pillars that we talked about, I don't know, like a month ago at this point. But better because we've been we've been working in the background. Um, the, the the key to me is that it helps you focus your character creation around the theme of your character's story arc, and mm-hmm. that to me makes it, it it grounds it. Right, it grounds it so that it's not just like uh, every now and then like I'll, I'll create a character that is like, wow, this doesn't feel like anybody yet. Like I, I should say this like. Uh, I don't mind creating characters, but I don't feel like they exist until they play. Like, to mm-hmm. me, my characters are the collection of the experiences that happen in their adventures. And <laughs> uh, I think that's that's evident in the game rules here, where it's like, oh, I love that part of it so much that I'm making that the core mechanic of growth, right? Like, all your characters are are the collection of the experiences they've faced, uh, the traumas that they've built up and the happiness that they built up is what builds this character. And uh, to me, that's the only way these things become real. <laughs> like, it's the only way that I can start understanding what they want is by having them suffer in my hands for a little bit. <laughs> that's a really interesting point because I feel like Orchibald and Clang, the two characters I mentioned before, are they're fully fleshed out in my <laughs> mind. I know exactly who they are. Or at least I feel that way. Yeah. And then the second they're thrown into a game, I'm going to learn all these things Mm -hmm. about them that I did not plan for. And I think that's what's glorious is it is just like growing up. You Mm -hmm. create a version of the character that you think is a thing, and then they become that thing plus so much more uh, because you're just pumping story through them. Mm -hmm. Uh, And when you kind of view a character as a conduit for that story, 
uh, and you're open to change instead of being super rigid about what your character is and what they would do, which many players make that mistake first time uh, or first few times out. It's, you know, they try to force feed mm -hmm. what their character is. Oh, I'm I'm chaotic evil. I kill literally everybody I see. <laughs> and it's like, you soon realize that that isn't that fun right. uh, for anybody. No. Um, unless it's, you know, a campaign that is well suited to that kind of play style. <laughs> and if there is one, fucking show me. I dare you because I have not found one. We're running an evil campaign. Here we go. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's one thing to run a campaign where evil has very few consequences mm -hmm. because everybody is doing it. And that's interesting because that's the theme. You know, it's like, what can you get away with? Right. Uh, it, that's the question that is driving your gameplay. But when it is... I now have to make it work so that my character or this player doesn't just outright die because of all the dumb shit they're doing um, <laughs> and not just kill them out of spite. That's when it becomes a challenge yep. when you're running the game. It's, it's such a deft balance to strike. You know, you just can't, you can't be the mass murderer, but you also can't be the goody two shoes. And I think that so many players struggle because they bring themselves to the game first yep. or they try to bring the opposite of themselves to the game and it's like, a player character is going to be part of you no matter what, mm -hmm. but try to bring aspects of yourself that, or aspects that aren't part of yourself mm -hmm. to the playing field. You know, I try to ask myself whenever I have a character, like, what would he do rather than what would I do? Mm -hmm. what, what would I do as a D&D &D player here? And it seems so simple, and you can say this tip all the time, but it really does help. Uh, and another thing I like to do if I'm a player is try to find something, like a little prop, Mm -hmm. that I can latch onto when I'm in character as Jimothy. Like, you know, I Jimothy has a small dragon named Vodikun, and I actually have, like, a little kind of, like, plastic dragon that can sit on my shoulder. And I like to use him or just, like, have him present. Yeah. And it doesn't always work. You know, I'm still making out-of-character comments all the time. But just, like, having a visual reminder of this is the character I want to be, this is what I want to exemplify, can be super helpful. Right. Um, especially if you're brand new to the game. I recommend it to all my players, and none of them do it. So <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's kind of where I'm at right now. I mean, that, that's such good. So the improv equivalent is object work, right? It's like, oh, if you ground mm -hmm. yourself in doing an action, or holding an object, it reminds you of who you are and what you're here for. And that yep. helps so much. Yeah. Um, the one I was going to say was, I've, I've heard this advice, I don't remember where, but uh, sometimes it's helpful to have like a catchphrase. Because even though like, you know, real people don't have catchphrases, I don't think. Having listened, having, having listened to so many hours of myself talking in this podcast, I <laughs> also disagree now, but, but still... Having a catchphrase means that it's easier for your character to get back into who you are, right? Uh, same for, like, if you're doing accents, right? It's helpful to have a certain phrase that triggers the accent so that you know, like, oh, this is how I do this. It, it just helps. Yeah, I, I think I completely agree there. Um, I, I think there's, like, a, there's a timid shyness to a lot of new players when it comes to a, a 5e game especially, mm -hmm. Um when I was welcoming new players into campaigns, I made a full PowerPoint to walk through character creation because the way the PHP does it is not uh, conducive not to favorite. new people. Yeah. Um, and it, it, you can do it. That's how I did it. But I had help. But when I created a PowerPoint just step by step, it was like even that was daunting to people. Mm -hmm. And I think what a lot of new players struggle with is they get so baked into the rules. Yep. And they want to make sure that they're doing everything right. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard when you have to tell a player, here are the rules, but also try to bend them a little bit. But here are the <laughs> rules. It, it's so intimidating and it's very difficult for somebody to latch onto that, especially when a lot of new players who have never experienced D&D or a role-playing game, they come from the board game world mm -hmm. or the video game world yep. where there is a win state. Yes. There is an end. And I think you were talking about this on a recent episode, actually. It's, it's difficult to come in with that mindset because they kind of expect so much and they expect the rules to do them favors. So I don't have an answer to this, but I think the challenge that so many people have to surmount when creating and or DMing and or playing in a TTRPG is encouraging the storytelling aspect without worrying so much about success. Yes. Yeah. That was the problem I always ran into was if you don't succeed, something funny will happen. Like <laughs> be prepared. That's going to be fun. Yeah, I think reframing success as we all sat around the table and had a pleasant evening is is right. It's tricky, right? People don't get it. 
Yeah, not not everybody can agree on that one. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's start wrapping it up. So, uh, usually I ask if there's anything that you want to discuss on this episode. I think we've covered a lot of this, right? I don't. It, did we miss anything about the episode? Probably not. I feel pretty good. Oh, so long yeah. ago. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm not even thinking about the episode. Anymore, so. We've gone beyond. We've grown, is what I'm saying. <laughs> that is the theme of this podcast: is that we have grown beyond the bonds of the anime itself into into its own new genre, which we call bebop tabletop. We ate some mushrooms that couldn't possibly have been real and ascended. (laughs) (laughs) Cole, thank you so much for being here. This was a blast. This was, um, I can't wait to talk to you more about this. I can't wait to bring you in on our playtest. We are starting to do some playtests this week, next week, and start to put together exactly how we're going to present this on the show because we have no idea yet. Uh, Yeah, Uh, if... You want folks to externally validate you, which I know you do because we all do. Uh, where should they go? Where, where should they look? Uh, well, before I jump into that, thank you both for having me. This is super fun. I cannot wait to bring my character uh, to fuck your days up. Um, <laughs> I, I can't wait to flesh out the backstory. I'm sure I'll end up with a novel-length prose treatment. But if anybody would like to find me, I'm on Twitter at ColeRush1. You can find my work at Tor.com at thequilltolive.com where I review books. If you want that all in one place, including once this is live, uh, a link to this episode, meta, uh, (laughs) it will be on colerush.com along with all of my other work. Uh, And if you go read some of my stuff, please feel free to drop a like or a comment. It means a lot and it helps uh, me write more. So um, if you want to talk about books, hit me on Twitter because I read a lot of them. A lot. Like you make me feel like I should read more books. (laughs) Uh, that's the goal. So, <laughs> success. <laughs> All right. Uh, next week, we're going to look at something which at first glance is interesting. Speak like a child. Are we ready to talk about Betamax? I mean, at this point, that's a relic of, you know, history. Our, I don't know if our if our current listeners even remember what VHS is at this point. Is that like uh, a record? Yeah, that's the one. <laughs> it's like a, a big CD. It's like a dinner plate that somehow plays music. It's magic. Goodbye, everybody. See you, Space Cowboys. See you, Space Cowboy. Indeed. <laughs> Thanks for listening. If you've got questions, suggestions, or if you're starting your own Bebop Tabletop session, you can reach us on Twitter, at Bebop Tabletop. Man, that salute's not going to be on the recording. No, Fuck. but but this is probably making it to the, the, the post credit. So, cool. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it.